Father Blunt notes that the Feast of All Saints has become one very dear to the hearts of Christians and is made both by the character of the service for the day and by the meaning of it, one of the most touching of all holy days. A day on which are gathered up fragments of the one bread of Christ's mystical body, that nothing be lost of the memory and example of his saints. In the beginning of our gospel lesson, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. One ancient commentator says that the church is called a mountain. It is pictured in Scripture as the mountain of God, a mighty mountain. He continues, Christ therefore went up the mountain to reveal there the mysteries of truth to his disciples. He showed that whoever wishes to learn the mysteries of truth ought to go up the mountain of the church, not to just any mountain, but to the mighty mountain of the church. Jesus, in delivering what we call the Beatitudes, is concerned to reveal the truth of the world that he is redeeming, the new world of the new kingdom to his disciples and to the crowds of people around him and by extension to us. We too, with the crowd of people on that day, get to listen in on the conversation thanks to St. Matthew's Gospel. Our English word, beatitude, comes from the Latin word, uh, I'm going to mess this up, Latin students, sorry, beatitudo. The Greek root word, makarios, uh, translates into the blessed are phrases that Jesus uses. And that pertains to being especially favored, blessed, fortunate, happy, or privileged. Bishop Wright notes that in these Beatitudes, Jesus is not suggesting that these are simply timeless truths about the way the world is, about human behavior. If he was saying that, he was wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. This is an upside-down world, or perhaps a right-way-up world. And Jesus is saying that with his work, it's starting to come true. This is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It's about something that's starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. It is gospel good news, not good advice. In our world, still, most people think That wonderful news consists of success, wealth, long life, victory, and battle. Jesus is offering wonderful news for the humble, the poor, the mourners, the peacemakers. The point, continues right, is to announce God's new covenant. St. Augustine says this, If we ask what the mountain signifies, it is rightly understood to point toward the gospel's higher righteousness. The precepts given to the Hebrews were lower, yet through his holy prophets and servants and in accordance with the most orderly arrangement of circumstances, the same God gave the lower precepts to a people to whom it was fitting. 
to be bound by fear. Through his son, he gave the higher precepts to a people to whom it is fitting to be set free by love. Jesus is announcing something new. Another ancient commentator says that he ascended the mountain to teach that he might show the mystery of love. For his ascent signifies the height of virtue. He therefore went up the mountain to show us that whoever teaches and whoever hears God's way, his way of justice, must stand on the height of spiritual virtues. The one who teaches must himself be an example of his words, so he may teach more by his word, works than by his words, as the apostle says to Timothy, set the believers an example. This, my friends, is a high calling. Indeed, it is the calling of all of us Christians. It is a calling for us to live a life of the highest virtues and to live in the love of Jesus. Another commentator notes that in the Beatitudes, our Lord draws the outlines of the character of the sons of the kingdom. He draws the outlines of the character of the sons of the kingdom. They describe, he continues, not different types of men, but different aspects of one type that the Lord desires. The Israelites, my friends, had not seen the presence of the Lord in the second temple. They were, many of them, very disillusioned by the time of Christ's incarnation. Some were zealots hoping to bring in the kingdom by violence and keeping of the law. False messiahs were appearing everywhere during this time. In the Beatitudes, continues our commentator, the Lord draws together all the colored rays of the spectrum of Old Testament piety and messianic hope into the white light of their fulfillment in the new Israel. Blessedness, in Hebrew, oh, the happiness of, had come to be the special good that the elect hoped to enjoy in the promised kingdom. And Jesus was announcing it. The blessed life of heaven is to become the life of this world here and now. We pray multiple times a day that God's kingdom will come and that his will, we, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Transforming is right, says, the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. For those who follow Jesus, this life is meant to be lived here and now. Not some distant day in the future, but here and now. Wright says that these Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. Because that future has arrived in the present time and in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> the church has obviously understood this teaching in the past better than we understand it today. In our contemporary church, I'm afraid we're a little befuddled, a little vague, a little fuzzy. On this Feast of All Saints, we seek, as Blunt put it, 
to gather up the fragments of the one bread of Christ's mystical body, that nothing be lost of the memory and example of his saints. This quote reminds us particularly of that ecclesiastical term, the communion of the saints. I said phrase, right? Not term, phrase. The communion of the saints. We are reminded that it is not just us here today that make up the church of Jesus. But as we worship here this afternoon and every day, we are joining with throngs of Christians all over the world in praising God's name and falling on our face before his throne and his altar. And of course, we are joining with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, all those that have gone on in the faith before us to join in heaven's majestic worship of the triune God. What a glorious thing it is to worship God. We ascend to heaven today to worship and remember all those that have lived Christian lives before us. We climb the hill of the church and the top level of that hill is in heaven itself where we behold the truth, beauty, and goodness of the Lamb of God. There we see most clearly the virtuous and holy, righteous life we are called to live. Let us, my friends, take up the call that so many of our brothers and sisters before us have done and live this virtuous life, this life called out for us in the Beatitudes. And let's do it now, before we have reached the promised end of our redemption. In the present, let us live this life while we're in the church here on earth and in the world. Remember, the church is called a city on a hill. As Jesus says at the end of the Beatitudes, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. May it be so for us. Amen.